Amen. Thank you, Bruce. Morning, everybody. It's a joy for me to be here and uh, to welcome you again to uh, those who are here. And uh, just want to thank Pastor John and Mundry for the wonderful privilege of being able to share the word here with you. I've been so warmly welcomed by Bruce and, and Rian. And, and I see some of you are nicely dressed for Heritage Day. Uh, so good. But let me say, sometimes there are parts of our earthly heritage that could disappoint us. And I'm not referring to the rugby last night, but <laughs> what is so amazing is that we have a heavenly heritage that we can never lose, that can never change. And I'm going to speak about change today, but this doesn't change. Listen to this scripture, 1 Peter 1 and verse 4 from the New Living Translation. It says, we have a priceless inheritance. An inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. Hallelujah. So even if we lose everything here on earth, we cannot lose our heavenly heritage. So as I said, I want to talk to you about change, and I've entitled the message, The Challenge of Change, because sometimes change is not that easy. There was a... A hospital in Johannesburg, it was a busy weekend, and you know, over weekends, lots of accidents and things, so the casualty, the emergency department was quite full, and a boy was admitted who swallowed a two-rand coin, and obviously it was serious, but it was stuck in his upper throat and turned so that he could still breathe, so a doctor had a look at him, but he was called away for some other very serious emergency, he placed a nurse there, he said, please watch him carefully until I'm back here, and uh, running up and down, stuck his head into the door where the boy was again, and asked the nurse, uh, how's the boy doing who swallowed the two rand coin? And her answer was, no change yet. And I think that's about the same answer that you can give when asked about the spiritual growth of some believers. No change yet. Uh, incidentally, I, I did tell this story in another church and somebody came to me afterwards and said, you know what, our pastor would have done much better than the doctor to get that two rand coin out, he says. <laughs> because when he takes up the offering, he can get money out of anybody. <laughs> And, and I want to say, pastors love change, except in the offering basket. So, why is change necessary? Well, the bottom line is because the Bible requires it. God demands it of us. So, we don't change simply to be popular or to be trendy or fashionable. We don't change to be cool because even cool can change. Because what's cool today is uncool tomorrow. Uh, I, I remember when we were young people, and I'm so blessed to have some of our, uh, some of my, my colleagues here, Charles and Lorraine Grant and uh, Ron and Rena Kinnear, many, many years. I, I, we, I don't have old friends. I just have long-standing friends. <laughs> but uh, in our days, we never used the word cool. We, if something was cool, we said, this is groovy. 
when we were young. And then uh, it became, this is hip, this is far out, this is fam, this is funky, this is fly. And then it became really bad, this is sick. <laughs> this is wicked. <laughs> so, so what you consider to be cool is a perishable product. Uh, it's an elusive quality because a, a fad will fade and a trend will end. We need to look for change into something that uh, is lasting. And when I'm talking about change, I'm not talking about superficial change, I'm talking about supernatural change. I'm not talking about changing your profile picture on Facebook or your password or whatever. I'm talking about a deep spiritual change that should happen in your life. And when you study the Gospels, you'll find that this was the primary message of Jesus. Because when he started preaching, here was his message. Repent. And what does repent mean? To change. So we need to change. Now I want to take you to a scripture that I want to use as a foundational text because it speaks about two choices that we have concerning change. It's Romans 12 verses 1 and 2, and I'm using the English Standard Version. Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. That speaks of change, either conformed or transformed. By the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, these two English words sound the same, conformed or transformed, but in Greek, it's totally, uh, two totally different words. The word translated as conformed has smack in the middle where we get our English word scheme from. And it means to be squeezed into a pattern, into a mold, into a scheme. That's what the world would like to change you into. But the other word, the Greek word for uh, transformed is the word metamorphoo, where we get our word metamorphosis from. It speaks of a, of a total change into a completely different form or character. And that's what God wants from you. Because he has his son and the image of his son that he wants you to be changed into. So that's what the Bible says. The Bible requires change. I am sure we all um, know we have to change. But the question is, how can we change? And that's what I'd like to answer. And you know, today, if you want to find out how to do anything, you go to YouTube and you find something that will show you how to do it. Uh, for instance, talking about change, if you want to change a tire, you can go to YouTube and it'll tell you how to change a flat tire in 21 easy steps. I'm not going to give you all 21 steps, but let me, let me help you. Step one, stop the car. <laughs> Step two, switch the engine off. Step three, engage the handbrake. Open the door. Get out of the car. Check which tire is flat. Get the wheel spanner. Give the wheel spanner to your wife. <laughs> and I can continue like that. So here is what I want you to understand. That the Bible doesn't always give us steps or formulas. And I know sometimes people preach sermons about seven steps to happiness or something like that. 
But the Bible actually gives us principles. Because the way that God works in my life will be different to the way that he works in your life. But it's based on the same principles, the same truths. You just need to find out God's strategy based on the principles of change. And here's the first principle that I want to give you. Recognize the source of change. Where does change come from? And if you want the first step, here's the first step. The first step to change is to confess your inability to change yourself. And our foundational text says it very clearly. Look at Romans 12 and verse 2 again. And I'm going to emphasize two little words in English so that you can get the message. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So that says that those verbs are actually in the passive voice. Now, if you can remember from school days, and for me it's hundreds of years ago, but in the grammar class, they talk about the active voice and the passive voice. Active voice is when the subject performs the action. But the passive voice is when the subject is the recipient or becomes the object of the, of the action. So um, it's important to see here that Paul never said, please change. He said, be changed. Be transformed. Because it is God who transforms you. And here's the choice. You could either be conformed by the world, squeezing you into its pattern, or you can be transformed by God changing you by His power. Amen. And this is for younger people. Some older people will not know what I'm talking about. But God is the original transformer. <laughs> He's the one <laughs> that can change you. You know, there's a modern catchphrase uh, that we hear often, and it's reinvent yourself. And I found this on the, on the web. It says, time to reinvent yourself. And you can see the initial letters are circled, and it spells the word try. There's the emphasis on you need to reinvent yourself by trying. The message of the Bible is the opposite. The Bible says, stop trying. Let God transform you. Let him bring about the change in your life. And I'll be honest, there might be a need for reinvention in your life. But I want to ask you this question. Who invented you? God. Who can reinvent you? God. Oh, there are so many self-improvement programs today. So many self-help books there's a guy who went into exclusive books and he asked the sales assistant, where's the self-help section? And she responded, she says, if I told you, that would defeat the purpose, wouldn't it? <laughs> we so often look at ourselves because we think this is where help will come from. My help is from the Lord. Amen. Amen. And obviously, you have a role to play in this whole process. But thank God, he's the senior partner. He does the impossible. He just needs my decision to cooperate with him. And I want to say this. You sometimes think it's your willpower. But in your Christian walk, your willpower and your resolve have only limited value. You just need to work with God. 
Because religious rules and regulations will not bring about the change that you need. Now, let me add something else here. You need to understand that not only does change come from God, but change uh, cannot come from yourself through works. And listen what Paul says, Romans 12 and verse 1 again. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God. Why does he mention the mercies of God? Firstly, it's obviously the basis of his appeal for transformation, but God's mercies are also the means of transformation because it's God's grace that is powerful enough that can change you, not your works. I often hear people say, I, I, I'm going to become a better person. Well, before better, there's good, and you are no good. And the Bible says it. It says there's no one that is good. So God, the good God, needs to change your spiritual DNA so that you can become good. And then the same God will change you into a better person. Amen? I know sometimes, especially over New Year, people want to turn over a new leaf. You need a new book. So God needs to change your, as I said, your spiritual DNA. There's something we need to realize. A lemon seed can never produce sweet apples unless it's genetically changed. And that's what people are doing today. And you can never bring about sweet fruit, you sour thing. <laughs> Just take it on the chin. <laughs> unless God changes you. And that's important. Here's an important scripture when it comes to transformation. 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says, we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Let me stop there for a moment and ask you this. Not a trick question. When you look into a mirror, what do you see? Yourself. But what does this scripture say? It speaks to believers. It says, when you look into the mirror, you see the glory of the Lord. That means God already made the major change in you. But he's not done with you. He says you are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. And here's the important phrase. Just as from the Lord. Where does change come from? From the Lord. All you need to do is cooperate with the transformer. And he will, he will bring change in your life. It's a, it's a partnership. Sometimes people say, well, it's your responsibility to change. I agree. But here's your responsibility. It's your response to his ability. That's what responsibility is about. I've, I've always said this to Bible school students, and it applies to so many areas of, of our lives. You cannot do it without God. But God will not do it without you. So all he needs is your agreement. And then the change will happen. So realize that change comes from God. Principle number two. Pinpoint the starting point of change. And I'll give you the answer immediately. Change starts with you. Leo Tolstoy was a famous Russian author and a philosopher 
And I don't know if he ever became a Christian, but in his 50s, he was deeply influenced by the words of Jesus. And he made this broad statement. He said, everybody uh, thinks of changing humanity, but nobody thinks of changing himself. And you know, it's a buzzword today, transformation. And the truth is this, we need transformation in our society. We need change in so many areas, but we need to realize that it, it starts with us. Some people want to change of scenery. They want to change of jobs. They want to change marriage partners. Say amen, say amen, say Asia, say something. They want to change churches. And if you ever find the perfect church, Charles Spurgeon has very good advice. Please don't join the church because from, the, from that day it will be imperfect. It's you that actually needs the change. Now, I, I really wasn't sure whether I should quote this guy or his song in church, but I'm going to do it. I'll sing the song because most of you are singing it in your head already. <laughs> I'm starting with the man in the mirror. I'm asking him to change his way. That's for free, by the way. <laughs> no, <okay. laughs> no. <laughs> I want to say this. I agree with Michael Jackson about how change should happen or, or where change should happen. I don't agree with him how it should happen. It's not the guy in the mirror that can change himself. It's the guy in the mirror that needs to realize God can change me. There's a, there's a beautiful prayer known as the serenity prayer. A man by, Reinald, by the name of Reinald Niebuhr, an American theologian, uh, this prayer, and it, it says, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the things I can. And the wisdom to know the difference. Such a powerful prayer. And we need to realize there's some things that around us that we cannot change. So here's another version of that prayer. God grant me the serenity to accept the people I cannot change. Courage to change the one I can. And the wisdom to know that one is me. <laughs> That's where change starts. Now, change doesn't just start with you, but change should start in you. I want to show you that change is an inside job. Go with me to Romans 12 again. This time, I want to read from the message paraphrase. It says, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. I know my, my friends from years ago will remember we used to be involved in a church where the ladies were forced to wear hats. And I had some issues with it. 
And uh, I'll never forget, I preached in a church once. And our kids were still small. My wife left the service to take them to the bathroom. And when she came back in the foyer, there was a lady with a big hat waiting for her. And she did this to my wife. She said, where is your hat? Ouch. <laughs> and, and my wife says, I don't have a hat. She said, but you must wear a hat as a respect uh, for your husband's authority. My wife said, my husband told me not to wear a hat. Now, we knew this lady in church, she would have a hat on her head, she would go home and sit on her husband's head. <laughs> I have nothing against hats, ladies. If, if it's a big one, don't spoil the view. Find a seat at the back. It's not the hat that makes you holy. You need to realize that holiness comes from the inside, not what you put on your head. And those people who have the attitude that the hat makes you more holy, I call them Cremora Christians. <laughs> because it's not inside, it's on top. <laughs> so change must start in the heart. And then, after that major change, it must continue. Incidentally, that uh, word, be transformed, or that phrase in the Greek, is in the present passive imperative. So it actually should be translated, keep on being transformed. It should just continue. In Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13, Paul describes this partnership between God and us. And he starts off and he says, my beloved... Now, whenever you see that word, beloved, in the New Testament, you must know these are already born-again believers that he's addressing, family of God. My beloved, work out your own salvation. What is he saying? He's saying, look at me, work out your own salvation. Not work your salvation. They're already saved, and they couldn't do it themselves. But now the salvation inside of you must have an effect on your confession, on your conduct, etc., etc. He says in verse 13, For it is God who works where? In you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So change starts with you and change starts in you. The third principle, identify the instrument of change. And immediately I want to give you the answer again. The Holy Spirit uses this book. To change you. It's the word of God that can bring about change. I like this quote by John Walbert. He was an American evangelical theologian. He says, wherever the Bible has been consistently applied, it has dramatically changed the civilization and culture of those who have, who have accepted its teaching. No other book has ever so dramatically changed the individual lives and society in general. Wow. There's power in this book. Now, 2 Corinthians 3.18, I read earlier. I want to read it from the Amplified and listen to, to what he emphasizes here. All of us, as with unveiled face, because we continued to behold in the word of God, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. So the word of God will show me 
what God changed me into, but it will also show me there's still room for improvement because it says we are constantly being transfigured into his very own image in ever-increasing splendor and from one degree of glory to another. So God's word will change you. That's why I want to encourage you. Don't make your Bible reading just a religious duty. When you take it, make this confession. Maybe it's good to say it in front of the mirror. And just say, this word will change me. Amen. Now listen what he says in Romans 12 uh, from another translation. Dear brothers and sisters. So clearly he's speaking to believers. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. That's the renewal of the mind. Now, when God made you, he made you a three-part being, spirit, soul, and body. And we need to realize when he speaks about the renewal of the mind, here's the, the, the battle arena. Here's where, where things need to keep on changing. God's already changed my heart or my spirit. So let me put it this way. Your spirit has been changed, past tense. Your body will be changed, future tense. And I want a tall one this time. <laughs> but your soul, your mind is being saved, present continuous tense. And that's where the, the change needs, needs to happen. Now, let me go to, to James 1, and it's very interesting if you compare Romans 12 and James 1, because they're actually saying the same thing. They're using different language. Paul says that your mind must be renewed. James says that your soul must be saved. So here's what James says uh, in verse 19. So then, my beloved brethren, double emphasis there, Believers, that's who he's talking to. Verse 21, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now, when we receive the word of God, it's a cycle. Just look at me for a moment. The word enters through your ear, through the gateway of your mind, and drops into your spirit, and that's where the word germinates. So now, look at that one word in the second last line. The word is implanted, past tense. It's already there. So he's, James is not talking about this part of the process, because it's not completed then. Even if you believe the word of God, it must have uh, it, it run its full cycle. So he's saying, receive with meekness. The word that is already implanted in your heart, receive it so that your soul can be saved. Your soul is the seat of your thoughts, your intellect, your will, your emotions. It needs saving. And, and you need to realize that. Because we're living in a world where we become brainwashed. And in fact, brainwashed is not the right word. Because there's no washing. We get brain polluted. And we need to be brainwashed by the word. And that is when I receive the word that is already implanted. And then it changes my thinking. Because I replace my thinking with the thoughts of God that I find in his word. That's how simple and how practical Christianity is. So 
So I must allow the word of God to change the way I think. Now, here's where a lot of Christians have a blockage because the word is implanted, but it gets stuck here because they, I call them the concrete Christians because their minds are like concrete, thoroughly mixed up and completely set. And they need a lot of, of mind renewal. But God's word will change your thoughts and your attitudes. Ephesians 4 from verse 22, Paul says, everything, and I do mean everything connected to that old way of life has to go. It's rotten through and through. Get rid of it. And then take on an entirely new way of life, a God-fashioned life, a life renewed from the inside. Another translation speaks about uh, being renewed in your thoughts and your attitudes, and that's what the Word of God will do. Principle number four, follow the desire to change. I read in Philippians earlier, God places the desire. He works in us to will. So, uh, uh, God helps us to acquire the desire. Now, I just need to cooperate with him, and I need to follow that desire. Let me go back to Romans 12. Listen what he says. I appeal to you, brethren. In the Amplified, he says, and beg of you. Paul never said, I command you. He says, I appeal to you, I beg of you. Other translations say, I plead with you, I beseech you, I urge you, I encourage you, I exhort you. He never said, I command you or I force you. Because change does not come by external force. It comes by following an inward desire. And that's why he says, I appeal to you. No one can change you from the outside. And it's so important to keep on changing. Don't wait for a crisis to change you. Because sometimes, some people change. Look at, look at this uh, picture here. Some people change when they see the light. Others only change when they feel the heat. <laughs> and a crisis can change you, but why not change right now? Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. So change is going to happen, passive or active. It's going to, to be negative or positive. Next year this time, you'll be a year older. Some things would have changed in your life. So change is going to happen. But you can have the choice of what you want to change into. You don't have to be conformed to this world. I like the English expression where it says, growing old. Because at least there's some growing in the whole process. Anyone can get old. You just have to live long enough. But there are some people who are chronologically advanced and biologically ancient, but spiritually immature. <laughs> and John Maxwell put it this way. He said, change is inevitable. Growth is optional. I want to add to that. Change is involuntary. Improvement is intentional. You have to make a decision. 
Now, if, you, if you're comfortable with this, I want you to, to speak out loud to the person next to you, in front of you, whoever you are, are uh, at ease with, and say this to them out loud. Say, God loves you so much that he does not want to leave you the way you are. <laughs> Amen. Can I throw in some Afrikaans here? Anybody understand Afrikaans? You know, there's an Afrikaans excuse for not changing. So gemaakt en so gelaat staan. I have news for you. God didn't make you like that, you ugly thing. And God doesn't want to leave you like that. He wants you to change, so choose to change. Principle number five, and I only have 35 more after this one. This is the last one. Maintain hope for change. Maintain hope. Look at Romans 12 and verse 2 again. Just those two words. Be transformed. The Holy Spirit would never have inspired Paul to say be transformed if that transformation was not possible. I had a, an interesting incident that happened to me. We went shopping and I, I took a picture of the, the parking uh, when it, it, it's a few years ago, eight rand, it, it was very cheap then. I had a 10 rand note with me and I wanted to put it into the machine and then I saw a phrase there that hit me. I don't know if God has ever spoken to you through a machine. But I had to take a photo of this because here was the message of the day. Change is possible. Amen. Well, if God can speak through a donkey, he can do it through a machine. But change is possible. And don't be, be, be discouraged if you don't see instant change because change is not always an event. It's a process. Thank God for events and moments where God changes people radically, but it's a process of growth. I have a book at home by Charles Swindle, and it has this interesting title. I have to demonstrate it. The title says, Three Steps Forward, Two Steps Back. <laughs> and it describes the Christian life that we sometimes experience because we have this amazing growth spurt, and then we suffer a setback, and we take two steps back, and we get so discouraged, instead of saying, oh, I actually progressed one step. Don't discourage, be discouraged by small changes. Keep on changing. Don't lose hope. In John 15, Jesus speaks about spiritual fruit, and it's, it, it says that every branch that bears fruit, God prunes. Uh, pruning is not pleasant. But here's good news, that you notice which branches God prunes. The ones that are already bearing fruit. So if you're going through a pruning process, be encouraged. God has recognized some fruit in your life. But he's not satisfied with fruit. He wants more fruit. And then in the end, you will see, he wants much fruit. So God wants to take you from fruit to more fruit to much fruit. And incidentally, if you look at one of the components of the fruit of the Spirit, it's called long 
suffering. <laughs> Doesn't always appear overnight. Might take time, but don't lose hope. In Romans 8:29, it says, those whom he, God, loved beforehand, he also destined from the beginning to be molded into the image of his son and share inwardly his likeness. That's your destiny. That's the goal God has for you. Don't give up. I want to close with this scripture, Philippians 1.6. I'm sure that God who began the good work in you, within you, will keep right on helping you grow in his grace until his task within you is finally finished. Hallelujah. So, amen, let's give God the glory for that. So here's, here's what I wanna, wanna say. Be patient with me because God's not finished. And this is what we should have around our necks. Under construction, God at work. He's still busy changing us. Amen. I want um, I wanted the worship team to lead us. And Fritz, you guys have done such a beautiful job. They really uh, touched my heart. I want us to sing it's quite an old song. It says, change my heart, O God. And this time, we need to understand that heart here means my attitude. Just change my attitude. And uh, let me first pray a prayer for you and then I want us to lead want them to lead us in the song father we thank you for your word that so clearly encourages us encourages us and says to us change is possible we look to you as the one who can transform us we thank you that the Holy Spirit will use this tool this instrument this book that the word of God will change our thoughts and our attitudes. Thank you that you are at work in our lives. And Lord, if there's anyone here that has never experienced that major change of you changing their spiritual DNA, giving them a new birth, I thank you that they can pray this prayer right now and say, Heavenly Father, I confess that I am a sinner, I need a savior. Jesus, come. Forgive me, cleanse me, change me, make me brand new. I believe with my heart and confess with my mouth that you died in my place so that I can receive new life, eternal life. I receive it by grace, through faith. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to keep on changing into the image of Jesus. Thank you for that in his name. Amen.